you can turn to Titus chapter 2. And I promise we're not even going to turn back to look at young women again. Um, I, I will advocate um, as we go forward here this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I listen to podcasts to and from work. And there was a podcast Friday by uh, the president of Southern Seminary, Southern Seminary Albert Moeller. Uh, his podcast is called The Briefing, and it was on this. It was on essentially what the sexual revolution has done to young men and young women in our culture, really taking stuff out of recent headlines. And I'm going to be quoting some of the things that he quoted uh, here. Um, there, there, there's a quote in there about, about young women, but I'm not going to go there. Not, not going to go there. Uh, he cites three articles, one of them in the Federalist, one in the Washington Post, and one in the New York Times. So these are, these are the, the last two, Washington Post and the New York Times, are really fairly liberal in their, in their news presentation. And for them to hit some of the things they did was really pretty eye-popping. So as we go into this, last week as we looked at... Uh, you know, the home and the husband for young women and how far are we willing to go in submission to God's word? The same thing is going to apply to young men. How far are young men willing to go to live for Christ? And I, and I speak specifically of young Christian men. So, so just at the outset, what are some of the cultural challenges that young men face today? in the world, in the culture, in the schools for living for Christ, living a godly life. Arnold, I'm sorry. Um, you uh, clarified it to one of five. Okay. sex and sexuality you know as far as the physical act and who you are who are you what are you you know uh, again prior prior to 10 or 15 years ago this was not a thing this was not a thing and now it's a it's a thing what else what other challenges do young men face Okay. Um, like father figure things. Mentoring. Home life. I mean, how many people are growing up in broken homes today? And we, you know, it's almost offensive. Can I say a broken home? Ooh. But, you know, where the husband and wife blow apart. How many different dads? How many different moms do people have? Uh, growing up today. What their role is. Okay. At least traditional roles have even been said by the American Psychology Association to be harmful. So role in society, role in culture, role in the home. 
So like, if it's not that, what is my role? What should I be doing? Yeah, like gender roles, like what is a man? What does it mean to be a good man? What does it mean to be a good woman? Yeah. Who matters in our culture? You. You do. Excellent. You do. Who else matters? And nobody. You matter. Because you are your reality. You are everything. And other people only matter when your bubble essentially comes in contact with their bubble and how they're going to affect your bubble. There, you are the you are the one that matters. What, what about op- opinions? What about beliefs? You're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe until it offends someone. Sure, sure. You know, as long as you keep it to yourself. Well, as long as it fits the agenda. Yes. Because the agenda now is push liberalism. That's the belief. Okay, beliefs. Your belief system, I don't care what it is, is going to be lived out. It is. It can't not be. And it is going to affect your conviction about family. It's going to affect your convictions about politics. It's going to affect, it's going to affect your interrelationships. It just is. It can't not. It comes out. And so all of these things uh, affect the young men out there. That, that women, because women are your equals, chivalry is dying. Until it offends someone that you weren't chivalrous. Yes! You know, are dudes carrying tasers around in their pockets? No. Why? Because they're not really concerned about being attacked. You know, why do guys carry, they generally will carry for the defense of others, not for themselves. Not, that's not exclusive, but should, it, I suggested in a social media forum that men throughout the ages have felt a responsibility to care for women. To look after and protect women. And the first response I got was, we can take care of ourselves. I can't. <laughs> and. I mean, I can't, but I'd rather not. <laughs> Again, I go back to tasers and mace and, and all of those things. I mean, and even just in our, in relation, relationally, in the roles, like, there are plenty of very incredibly strong single mothers who run their families well. and But I bet that really, like, somewhere inside of you, like, you would much rather not have to have that responsibility shouldered on you. Yes! It's a natural God-given thing. Like, I am not, it's not hard for me anymore <laughs> to be submissive to my husband because I don't want, that's not my responsibility. And it doesn't feel like my responsibility. It feels like too much. The, the burden of Yes. Well, and a lot of that stems, I mean, by and large, a woman can't take care of herself today because we have a good police force we have, that is largely taken care of by men. And 
there's a lot of things in place, but if we got rid of that and went back where um, they range everyone by themselves, it would be very hard for someone to protect themselves. Yeah. And I was just going to say one other thing about young men. I think a big issue today is passivity. You know, used to 15, 16 years sent out to go, and now 25, 30 still living at home. Yes. Yes. Something I was going to appropriately try to touch on. I watched a really good TED talk on the difference between what it means to be a man or to be manly and what it means to be a good man and the contrast when, they, when he did a survey of a bunch of young kids. And I think there's a growing adolescence or extending adolescence until the age of 30 and that kind of stuff and the competition of just wanting to pursue your ego or fun and uh, teenage versus taking a, seeking accomplishment and pursuing work and, and that kind of thing and a living life of significance. Absolutely. You know, this whole, this whole idea of self-absorption, uh, Moeller commented, he said, this society truly insists upon treating every single human being as morally autonomous, as if there is no one who can set down rules we have to follow, and as if our own quest for happiness and our own identifiable demands for authenticity are all that are actually required. Relationship essentially dies with that kind of a mindset. Um, the young lady who wrote the article in the Federalist, and, I, and I'll send it out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send it out to everybody's email address. I have it's a, it's a slap. I mean, it is a stark slap to read through that article with regard to sex. Sex, sex has become an event. It's an event. And she said that sex has to. She said sex has to be considered meaningless in our culture. Because if it is meaningful, that means that there must be some kind of objective meaning, which means there's an objective right and wrong, and it also means that just maybe the act of the sexual relationship comes with duties. And it does. Because, because one of the outcomes of that relationship is a baby. And therein comes responsibility. And only within the covenant and promise of marriage can that whole thing flourish. The Washington Post of all, all places said that previous societies and this society in previous generations brought social pressure and so, social sanction upon men to take responsibility both for sex and for their offspring. Okay, In the past, this was so. You made a baby, you're going to own up to your responsibility. Not only were the parents of the woman going to do that, but so were your parents and so was the rest of society and culture. They went on. It's the very sexual revolution that the left has championed for so long that had severed that responsibility and denied that kind of accountability that removed all of those moral sanctions and basically eliminated all of the social constraints upon the sexual behavior of men. So men are free to go out. This has led, this has led to no commitment. There is no need. I don't have to. 
I, had to, I don't have to make a commitment. This has led to, in young men, a tainted sexual appetite. This has led to people with no aspiration. You know, the gamer mentality. You know, they come home, they have no ambition. They go to their job and they come home and... For six, eight hours until they got to go to sleep because they got to get up and go to work and repeat, lather, rinse, repeat. There. We've created beasts. Uh, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. And really all of what Paul is going to tell Titus here is summed up in this. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. What was the verse again? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Act like men. Be strong. So if we flip back to Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, we're going to look and we're going to go, is that it? Well, that's it. We're going to talk for the remaining 40 minutes on this verse. Yes, we are. Somebody read that? Titus 2 and verse 6. There it is. You know, well. I was going to say, what is self-control? Okay, you could read that wrong and completely miss the boat. Where you go, oh, it's self-control. You know, all I got to do is, it's all about myself. You know, no, 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 no. It's, it's, there's, there's a difference between being controlled by your appetites and Controlling your appetites. So a self-control that the world likes is that you are controlled by your appetites. If you have the appetite, go on. Do it. Do it. You know, a while ago, you know, if it feels good, do it. You want to do it, do it. Pursue it. But God's word tells young men, be self-controlled. Control your appetites. Our appetites that run wantonly are dangerous. And I'm sorry, but we are going to go from here and we're going to expand what this means by looking at what Paul tells the Thessalonian church. So flip a couple of pages to your left or I don't know how you do it on your phone. <laughs> Hit some buttons and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to look at pretty much the first eight verses here on the idea of self-control because he talks about it in here as well. Uh, verse 1, Corbin, would you read chapter 4, verse 1 of First Thessalonians? Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Okay. So, they are to walk to what end? What is the purpose? Please. To please God. You are not created for your own little self. You are created for God's glory. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You are created for God's glory. And so 
If that is the case, then I should be living my life to please Him. I, I have breath in my lungs because of His grace to me. He can take it at any time. He can take it at any time. It is grace alone. Whether the sinner or the saint. Jew or Gentile. Slave or free. It doesn't matter. We are to please God. So Paul's exhorting them. We ask and urge. And you know. Uh, Corbin's translation. Same thing. We exhort you in the Lord. As you've heard. As you've heard this. As you're going to hear it today. So Live to please the Lord as you are doing, and yes, even more. Verse 2, he says, For you know the instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you know those instructions, and here they come. Okay, Olivia, would you read uh, verse 3 there? So we are to live to please God and he's going to exhort the Thessalonians in this end, to this end. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Big churchy word. What does that mean? What does that mean? Your sanctification. Your journey towards holiness. Yes, your journey toward holiness. You're growing in who are we supposed to look like? Christ. Christ. We're, we're growing in our Christ-likeness. Is this through my own muscle? No. no. You're going to face plan. You go, oh, I got to be good. I got to be good. Okay, I'm going to be good. I got 10 things to do to be good. And you are going to crash and burn. You're going to face plan on those things. Because that is living the Pharisaical life. That is what Paul, Paul hammered the Galatians. You, you started in grace. You started by faith. And so now you're going to continue by uh, uh, trying to Martin Luther your way up the steps on your knees? No, by grace. And so it is in that relationship with Christ that we grow in Christ's likeness. It is in that relationship with Christ that he moves our hearts to follow after him in holiness and obedience. And so when I see the things that he exhorts me to do, I go, yes, yes, yes. Instead of what? Okay, I got to do that. No, it's, oh, yes. So this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would grow in Christ's likeness. And oh, by the way, here is a great way to start, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. What's that? Outside a now, can a married man be involved in sexual immorality? Well, absolutely. Can a married woman? Be involved in sexual immorality. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is that relationship, that physical relationship outside of the bond of a husband and wife. When 
anything happens outside of that circle, that union of a man and a woman. I'll do the dress, I'm sorry. Anything outside of that is, is wrong. That is sexual immorality. Okay, we, we, can, we can go into, into that whole thing. We're, we're, just, we're going to assume, based on God's word, that this is true. We've fleshed this out in the past. I'd be happy to flesh this out. Why is sexual, sexual immorality uh, a big thing? Okay. He goes on. Paul continues to expand this for... And again, I want us to think of this in the context of the young men. And here it comes. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Okay. That each of us know how to control. Think of reins on a horse. You know, a horse under the restraint of a rein and a bit is a powerful and effective animal. A horse by itself is a beautiful animal, but it's going to go where it pleases. You drop the reins and good luck. Okay, that horse is going to be all over the place. Paul is exhorting the Thessalonians Paul is exhorting Titus to exhort the young men to control their own body. How? In holiness. Holiness. We've talked about this word before. Holiness means what? Holy. If something is holy. Set apart. What are you set apart for? You can go back to the start of Thessalonians 4. To, to please God. You are set apart. You have been created to glorify God. Believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. I don't go to a foreign land and do what I want to. I do what my president has dictated that I do. I am his ambassador. I'm his envoy in this world. Paul told the Corinthian church in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19b, second half of verse 19 and verse 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. What does that mean? Who bought you? What do you mean you're not your own? Bought with a price. What about Christ? We're dead, dead men and dead women, so... The fact that we live is because of Christ. Okay, what, what price was that? What was the price? Oh. Priceless. Priceless. Beyond, you cannot imagine the value of that. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are set apart. Paul told the church at Rome in Romans 14, verse 8. He said, if we live, therefore, we live to the Lord. If we die, therefore, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 
So therefore, I live to please God. Will only saints please God? Let me rephrase that. Will only saints bring glory to God? Be an instrument of glory because God's holiness and his wrath are justly being poured, upon, poured out upon me. So I will bring glory to God in that way. But oh, what a price. You know, to spend eternity separated from him and in torment. But he's glorified in that. He is glorified. His justice is shown and his mercy through the years of the life of one who turns away. But holy is holiness, man. We, th- we think holiness and we think thick robes and funny hats and discomfort. And that's not holiness. Holiness is a, is a good thing. Only in living such a life will a man know the fullness of the life that God intended for him. In a life of the pursuit of holiness. Jerry Bridges, great book. If the saint who understands that precious blood of Jesus Christ finds satisfaction in the things of this world or the sin of this world, so I understand my salvation, I understand what Christ did for me, and I'm a believer, but still I keep going over to my sin and I like it over here. I like my sin. It can't be both ways. And if my life is spent over here and I am not actively trying to, in Christ, get rid of that or flee from that, The question really stands about my eternal state. What is my eternal state if I like it over here and not in the pursuit of holiness? Jesus himself and John in his epistle emphasized that the saint unwilling to follow after God has shown in his conduct that he has little love for God. If you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14, verse 15. 21, 23, 15, 15, 10, and 14. I mean, tons of verses in, Paul, in Jesus' last words to his disciples and in John's letter. Our passion for Christ draws the nourishment and power of that relationship to enable us and to stir us toward obedience that honors him and fills us with inexpressible joy. And makes that look like the dung hill that it is. Opens our eyes. Holiness. But honor. To honor something. What's it, what's it mean to, to give honor? 
respect. Respect? What? Disdain. To lift it up. Okay. What weekend is this? And what do we do on this weekend? Or what are we supposed to do? Besides go to sales. Honor the fallen servicemen. Yes. Honor the fallen soldier. We are to remember, memorial, remember. We are to remember those who have paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice, and gave their life for our country. And so we honor them, we hold them up, we esteem them. We are supposed to control our own bodies in honor. What do I have in myself that's honorable? Yeah, nah, nothing. I got nothing by myself. Christ. I have Christ. And again, it goes back to the price that was paid. Inestimable. Ginormous, we would say today. Huge, humongous. And so, if I know that I was bought with a price, if I know that I am to live for Christ because I'm His, then I should live in honor. The contrast is in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The passion of lust. What is their restraint? They don't have it. I'm sorry? They don't have it. They don't. Passing out would probably be their restraint. I can go no more. I'm, 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 I'm just exhausted. I'm, I'm going to drink it all in and then some. And this is he says, these are the Gentiles who do not know God. Understand, much of the church in Thessalonica was Gentiles. They were Gentiles. Like Paul told the Corinthian church. And such were some of you when he went through the list of the immoral people. It's expected of the pagan and the heathen to act like a pagan or a heathen. It shouldn't surprise us. You know, they're lost. Lost people act. Lost. lost, yes, they do. They do. It is. It's sad. It should make us sad. Grieve our hearts. But for the saint to act in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, what a shame. He's continuing here on this theme of sexual immorality. He has not changed. He's talking about this. He goes on, he says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. How do we wrong my brother in this matter? Paul said anyone who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, how do I wrong my brother in this? What if she's consenting? She's consensual. Consent is the big thing in our world today. 
because it's outside of a bond. I've got to have some kind of contract or something. Otherwise, this, this act without meaning. The article's incredible. That article by uh, Maring. Why do I then feel so terrible? Why do I then feel so empty in the aftermath? There's no meaning. There is meaning, but it's it's it was void in whatever happened the day before, the night before. I have a responsibility. I am not my own. The little my world is interwoven with all of you. We are all interconnected as God has put us in this boat at the same time, in the same place, to have a relationship here in the church in a very special way and outside as we go and meet with other people. As we meet with other people. And so it is my responsibility to care for them and to honor them. I am not to wrong. I am not to take what does not belong to me. Nor am I to give what is for somebody else exclusively. Man. That we take things from young women and young men that we have no business taking. And take, a, take note of the middle of verse 6. God, the Lord, is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Will justice be meted out? <coughs> Absolutely. In this world, maybe not. Should society bring pressure to bear against young men? Absolutely. To hold up to their responsibility to young women? Absolutely. Penalty for rape. Biblically speaking, is severe and it's quick. If you look back in the law. It is death. It is death. And, and for us to just, oh, okay, you got some prison time, and you're, you're now labeled a sexual, sex offender. Okay. No, dude, that guy's a, a smudge. He's shown a disregard for the sanctity of the woman, for the image of God in that woman. There. You are not to be this. You are not to wrong your brother. 
Again, in verse 7, he goes back to what he has already stated. You are, you are supposed to control your body in holiness and honor. Verse 7 says the same thing. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. The world doesn't say this is impurity. The world says, have at it as long as there's mutual consent. And again, we're not, we're not talking homosexuality alone or you know, polygamy alone or, or anything alone. It is sexual immorality. It is all of it. All of it outside of marriage. It is intended within the union. So to disregard this if you go, God has called us for, not for impurity, but in holiness. Uh, to disregard this, you go, eh. Verse, verse 8 doesn't go, eh. Somebody read verse 8, please, of First Thessalonians 4. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Young men, be self-controlled. Young men, be self-controlled. I go back to 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Therefore, act like men. Act like men. Harvard. Um, Harvard University is not known for its conservatism, nor is the Washington Post, nor is the New York Times, which is why it is... A little startling to hear things like this come from these places. Uh, a, the founder of the Department of Sociology at Harvard University said that one of the first essential requirements of a human civilization was to structure society so that men must take responsibility for their offspring. They must take responsibility for their offspring. To be self-controlled, you know, you think you think of these things. Entropy. You know what entropy is? If you take a jar of marbles, turn it over on a table, and lift up the jar, that's entropy. Everything moves to a state of disorder. Everything's nice and ordered in that jar, but as soon as you lift the jar up, the marbles go everywhere. Uh, things decay, roads, they rot, roadwork in the spring, okay, it's normal. Housework, fences need painting, fences need tending, lawn needs to be mowed, otherwise the weeds grow up and choke out your garden. There. These things all need tending, but so does the spiritual life, because spiritual entropy is going to eat away. This is why it is humongous that the older women teach the younger women. This is why within the church we are to exhort younger men here. Who's got that responsibility? Who else? All of us do. In a sense, can a, can a young woman exhort a young man to act like a man? 
Absolutely. Get away from me. Sometimes probably too better up back. <laughs> That's inappropriate. Whoa. No, hands off. Whoa. Yes. So, here, kind of as we close up this section, some of the, the takeaways that, that I, I that weighed heavy on my heart. Let us exhort young men to this in the church. Let us exhort old men to this in the church. Let us exhort men to this in the church to be self-controlled. Parents have a huge responsibility with their young men. So do pastors, so do other men, yes. The battle therein is terrible. Because the, the world, the world is going to say this is stupid. This is sexist. This is, you know, there's probably some phobia associated with it. No, there's God's word associated with it. I think it's interesting too, because even in Christian circles, because sometimes it happens in our own too, like, you know, we talk about self-control and what it means to be a young man. Because sometimes, and I, my delivery is not always the greatest, but, you know, when one of the boys is, Push it down, kind of mentality. I think that per perverts everything that what a man is supposed to be. Be strong. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 but even even then, even in the Christian household, Sean will still like if I say that to one of the boys, I might be might be being I might be being too harsh, or you know, yeah. My delivery is not always the greatest. That's for sure. The passive man, the weak man. That is that is exhorted, that is exhorted to to stand up and, and and take take the hits of the world and to fight against it. That's not that's uncommon now. So the for young men especially, especially with regard to how God created young men, and if if you don't think God created young men and young women differently, then probably need to sit down with somebody and talk about it there because young men and young women are created very differently and the the chaos that reigns within during puberty is is a hard thing physical activity is a great thing you know for them to go out and you know uh in, in the fields, work themselves essentially to exhaustion. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that young men don't have this physical outlet there and it begins to manifest itself in their sexual appetite is not a good thing. Um, the, fight, the fight isn't always easy, but it is pleasant. The outcome is pleasant. Restraint for a good thing is pleasant. Restraint for a good end is a pleasant thing. And even the liberal world understands this. As Alyssa Milano advocated that women abstain until these laws are, the abortion laws are shot down in Georgia and Alabama, she recognizes, you know what? We can abstain. 
That's not what she meant. But we can, we can back this whole process up into the relationship between a man and a woman and go, you can abstain. You can abstain for a good end. What is that good end? That good end is right here in the proper place of the relationship between a husband and wife. Um, it's, it's important for us to exhort young men as far as the armor of God is concerned. How do you battle? How do you battle? You don't just go, ah, resist. You know, good luck. You, know, you turn him to Christ. You turn him to the Holy Spirit. You turn him to God and the armor that God provides for us to wage war in this life, in the spiritual realm also. And so it's important that we don't just go, you know, just say no. Yes, just say no. Yes, abstain from sexual immorality. Yes, but holiness, honor. Paul goes on to explain how to make this happen. Uh, the last point I want to bring out and leave it for you guys to kind of talk about here at the end is uh, don't fight alone. Man, for a young man to fight alone, he's going to fail. He's going to fail. And we don't... We don't send our, our men into combat alone. They don't go out alone. They go out in teams, or they go out with a wingman, or they go out in a formation. One boat does not go... Submarines. Okay, submarines do go out alone. It's different. 300 miles. Yeah, there you go. You but, but you don't send an aircraft carrier out by itself. You send all kinds of other ships to help protect around the aircraft carrier. Okay, we don't fight this battle alone. God has given us the church. God has given us one another to exhort and encourage one another. So in Titus here, again, back to Titus. Titus has been exhorted by Paul to teach what accords with sound doctrine in the start of chapter 2. Again, doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is our life. This is, this is how God wants us to live. And he exhorted the older men, the older women, the younger women in relationship to the older women and also the younger men here. That we might live lives, as Paul exhorted the Thessalonian church, that please God. That should be our desire as we grow here in sanctification. Closing, any closing thoughts or questions here? We actually got some time. I'm not always self-controlled either. It's how God 